Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening here on your favorite podcast platform. Today, we're going to share a list of Canadian down payment assistance programs that will help first-time homebuyers get into a home. We'll break down who is qualified, how you can apply, and what, if any, repayment methods are required by a borrower. Finally, we'll share a list of zero down payment programs happening right now here in Canada that can help you get into a home with as little as possible. Once again, thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Principal Broker of Connect Home Financing, Justin Turner, and I'm sitting here with our founder of Connect and my best friend, Marcus Seferis. Why don't we get right into it and, and we'll go through these amazing slides that producer Matt put together and, uh, and we'll talk about the, the first-time homebuyer's incentive, which I'm very excited about. I feel like a lot of people need to know about this. Mm. And a lot of people don't. So we're going to tell them. They've been like, it came out a year ago and they've made a few changes to it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so let's, let's just start from the beginning. Tell us about it. So the government of Canada uh, created a program mm-hmm. to help first-time homebuyers mm-hmm access um, money to supplement their down payment. Okay. So it depends on, first you have to qualify as a first-time home buyer. Mm-hmm. Means that it is your first time buying a house or um, you're divorced, separated, whatever. You, you, so you're buying another house for the kind of first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some repayment aspects to it that are crystallized that are pretty firm in how you're going to repay it. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, the government of Canada wants to give you between 5 and 10% of the purchase price of your home to help you access home ownership if you're first-time home buyer and kind of you know middle class. Mm-hmm. Um, there are limits on it. So you, if you, in order to qualify for it, anywhere other than kind of Toronto, Vancouver, um, you have to make less than $120,000. Okay. And then that also sets the amount, the, the, the dollar amount that they're going to give you and the purchase price of the property that you're looking at because they will, they'll only approve. A, so a borrower who has $120,000 or less in income mm-hmm. for a property that doesn't exceed four times the income of the borrower. Right. So think, you know, 120 means $480,000 as a purchase price outside of GTA in Vancouver. But since, you know, most of the people that we speak to are, you know, in large urban centers, it's 150,000 and then four times 150. So think uh, $600,000 purchase price. Okay. So, to drill into it a little further, $600,000 purchase price. Mm-hmm. If you are buying a new home, mm-hmm. so new product, you get 10%. Okay. If you are buying an existing product, so resale, 5%. Okay. So 5% of the value. So we're talking about trying to get 30 grand on a resale home purchase given to you to help you with your down payment. Okay. Way it works. You've got to get approved for that mortgage, mm-hmm. inclusive of the amount that you're getting. So the stress test on it, um, and then they will supplement that amount. The federal government approves you for it, like a grant almost, I suppose. Mm-hmm. 
based on the qualifying criteria, and you receive that money uh, before closing. Okay. Um, then you have to repay the money. Right. So how do you pay, what's what's repayment look like? How do you pay it back? Okay, so it started off, the program started off, and it was just like, okay, we're going to give you 5% mm-hmm. or 10%. Let's just say 5 because, you know, the assumption that it's a new home is probably um, less likely than someone buying a resale. Right. So, um, you know, let's use an example. Justin is buying his first house, 600000 bucks, mm-hmm. and he's getting supplemented $30,000. Initially, you're receiving 5% from the federal government. Mm-hmm. The federal government will want to be repaid 5% of the home's value when you sell it. Okay. And the maturity on it is 25 years. So if by the 25-year mark, you haven't repaid it and you haven't sold it, 5% of the appraised value of the house at the 25-year mark. Okay. So you bought it for 600. Let's say it's worth a million. Afterwards, you're paying $50,000 back mm-hmm. and you extinguish the incentive, the, the loan, let's call it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a second mortgage, mm-hmm. but it's just tied to the increase in the value of the property. Okay. So then um, more recently, the federal government uh, kind of provided more clarity um, on the repayment. And they've added in this factor where it is the um, it is the lesser of either eight percent interest count kind of an eight percent return on an annualized basis, okay, not compounded on the amount that you've been provided up until the day that you're going to repay it, mm-hmm. or if the property value has dropped in value the federal government will take an 8% drop in the amount of money that they've provided on an annualized basis to the point that you're paying out. Interesting. In addition, if you bought this house for 600000 and you sell it for 400000 the federal government will take the $10,000 hit. So they gave you thirty grand to buy a house that was 600000 you sold the house for four hundred thousand. Their equity stake in your home is twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, it's almost like a fractional share ownership. Yeah, they're like business partners of the home that you're you're doing a deal with the federal government. Mm-hmm. The federal government is like, you know, is like saying, okay, listen, we will invest alongside first time home buyers. We'll give them five to ten percent of the value of the property on purchase, but we want to be repaid commensurate with how much we provided mm-hmm. based on the increase subject to this kind of the lesser of um, 8% per annum increase or decrease. Interesting. But if you look at it for like 25 years, you know, um, it's probably, you know, who knows, right? But you're probably going to end up paying the equity equivalent, not the 8% annually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that 8% number is starting to look a hell of a lot more realistic in an environment when five-year fixed rates are six percent, right? yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah, and hard to think that 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 the government is actually going to lose on this program. Uh, listen, I mean, unless you bought it at the end of last year and you're now selling it now, yeah, uh, it's, yes, for sure. Um, 
especially given property values have dropped drop now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I feel like if I wasn't a homeowner already, I would be really excited about this. Now, the big question though is like, who is eligible? Like, who can get this? Is it just like a free for all? Like, tell us about that. First time home buyers. Okay. <laughs> First time home buyer, meaning you have not purchased a house before. Okay. Or you're you're separated, broken up, and you need to buy another house. Mm-hmm. There, you recently experienced the breakdown of a marriage or common law partnership, mm-hmm. and you're allowed to do it. Or you didn't occupy a home that you or your spouse owned in the last four years. Right. So it's kind of like you're a first-time home buyer if you haven't owned a home in the last four years. Yeah. 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 Kind of re-entering the market. Mm-hmm. Or breakdown of a marriage and you need to re-enter for a new home. Right. Right, right. They just, I think they just really don't want to encourage like people with multiple homes supplementing their down payment with this federal program. No, of course, of course. Because that's already where my brain was going. Well, keep this in mind, right? The, the mandate for the federal government is to make home ownership more affordable, mm-hmm. right? It's been a big kind of tagline in their election promises. Anytime we hear them talk about housing, they talk about how they want to make it more affordable, mm-hmm. which is ironic considering the biggest impact to housing affordability is just how much money the federal government provided in stimulus. Mm-hmm. And that stimulus inflated everything, thereby making home ownership further out of reach. And that same stimulus then forced us to increase interest rates significantly, thereby further putting home ownership more out of reach? Well, listen, it's a drop in the bucket in relation to the dramatic impact that inflation had on housing prices Mm -hmm. and that the attempt to reduce inflation by increasing interest rates has now had on affordability. Right. So you've got these massive, you know, economic shifts that are happening that have really heavily impacted housing affordability and the federal government has come up with a program to give you 5% um, towards the purchase of your home. I don't know how much that's going to do. And I don't, I honestly, I think you have a hard time finding a $600,000 house um, in the GTA, um, which is part of the problem. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's been many times where I've, I've gone through this process with my clients and it's just, you know, the, um, the equation to get to what you're eligible for as a purchase price is, it's very difficult depending on what market. Yeah. So that's another thing. It actually impacts your affordability because for this program, the value of the home can only be four times your income. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're really qualifying for a mortgage, you can stretch that to like 4.5 times your income, Mm -hmm. like to meet the GDS and TDS eligibility requirements. Mm -hmm. And then again, like how many borrowers are going to have bang on the number of 150 in order to realize a $600,000 purchase price, also kind of complicated. I think this works for like somebody buying a $600,000 condo, Mm -hmm. like a new construction condo, you are buying a, you know, it's going to be a thousand bucks a foot. You're buying a 600 square foot unit. You're going to get 10% mm-hmm. of the purchase price. I think that's where this program, the real savings is, is going to really kick in. I think the more it, it um, 
the more knowledgeable people become on it, right? Which is part of the reason why we're doing the show today. You know what? Uh, the condo we covered in the last episode would be a great example. Producer Matt would be yeah. a great example yeah. of, of, uh, of this working. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go check out episode 52. Be sure to visit makemoneycount.com to find all of our old episodes. I do think that there's a real, real uh, promise for this in markets outside of Toronto, though. Like perhaps Leamington or, or somewhere like... Leamington, Leamington for sure. Leamington. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, okay, so we're excited. You know, we know how we're going to pay the money back. We know who's eligible. And then, like, you know, how do I get it? Like, how, how, does, that, how does that work? So, step one, uh, there's two application forms that you have to fill out. You can type in CMHC first time home buyers incentive and those application forms will fill, come in or you'll be directed to them either way. Yeah, it has its the, own website. Yeah. yeah. The other great way to get the like find out where the application forms are or to call Connect or another broker, some other broker, anyone. I mean, if you call another broker, we'll cry a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. But we know where they are. So once you've completed these two very simple application forms, you either give them to your lender or, of course, your broker, perhaps Connect, um, and, and we can submit these to the lender for you. Um, after that, you would submit the package to your lawyer so that your lawyer would be, need to be in the know that, that you're applying for this program. And then uh, just before closing, you need to make sure to contact FNF, uh, who is going to facilitate the transaction for you in terms of the uh, incentive plan. So yeah, it's just, just that simple. That, that's how you apply. So now. We've gone through, um, you know, we know how we're going to pay it back. We know who's eligible. We got excited. Uh, well, we know, I should say, we know how much we're going to have to pay back. So we know what we're getting into. We know who's eligible. We know how to apply. And now, uh, and now, and now when, when exact, when do they need to give the money back? All right. Listen, 25 years. Yeah. Selling the property. Mm-hmm. Breaking up. You want to pay out your partner. Mm-hmm. But he, Matt has it so nicely put here. So yeah, you go through a breakup and you want to buy out the co-borrower. If this requires additional insured funds, you must pay back the incentive in full. Porting your mortgage. That's a weird one, but I guess it's because you're selling the one property and you're moving to the other one. So you got you, you to pay it out. Oh, right. I actually read that differently, but yes, porting your mortgage. And then a partial release of security is considered a sale. Right. What does that mean? Uh, I think that we're talking about refinancing your property. Anytime a refi happens? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you I mean, can't you, refi without paying them back? No, you cannot. Because uh, I've, I've done this before. So you cannot refinance unless you pay them back. So once you get uh, that second, that, that incentive product in place, you wouldn't be able to do anything with your first mortgage until you've paid it back. Hmm. Um, I like a second be, mortgage again, right? Just yeah, like exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I always tell clients, they always say like, well, can I do something with my first mortgage and leave my second in place? When you go to the grocery store, you can't get to the front of the line without excusing yourself from the people from the back of the line, right? So aside from this, there are a lot of... Um, How many of these have you done? What Have these? Yeah. So on the purchase end, I have never. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what this is. It's never. a purchase program. No, no, no. But I have paid it out before. Okay. Like I have paid multiple out. Um, on a refi. Yes, How disappointed correct. are the people on the refi where they have to pay it out? <laughs> yeah, it's never fun on the other end of the yeah. incentive. Um, but yeah, like there's a lot. Um, I guess it would be one of those examples of when a borrower is like, I hope that the appraised value of the house comes in low. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
so I don't have to pay the government yeah. too much. I guess that brings us to a good point is like if you're in a like, you know, a market that we've been in like 99% of this time, then you want to pay it out as soon as possible, right? Like your first, you know, obviously you're going to have to wait until your property does increase significantly just because you're not going to be able to finance over to that 80% point. But as soon as you do, I would say that it's a good time to pay it back. Yeah. And yeah, I was saying there's, there is some other municipal kind of programs that are in place, depending on where you are. Uh, these I've actually done a few times too. Um, but, but, but uh, municipalities, I guess you would call them, uh, would have different programs as well, uh, funded by the municipality. Oh, wow. So look at that. Work the same. Yeah. Yeah. Look at all this free money. Yeah. There is a lot of free money going around. We're going to post these. Uh, uh, they're going to be available to you either on our website or on our Instagram page. And here's a list of provincial programs as well. So there's a lot of provincial programs depending on where you are. I find this one the most uh, interesting is the Manitoba Rural Home Ownership Program. Is there an urban part of Manitoba? <laughs> I hope you're laughing at home. That was funny. I thought that was funny. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Canada's economy is changing. Mortgage rates are rising. Property values are falling. The equity in your home feels out of reach. Connect.ca helps homeowners borrow for less. Your home loan approved online in seconds. The money you need, funded in 24 hours. I'm Marcus from Connect. Let's make money count. I think what's important to recognize here for this first-time homebuyer's incentive plan or any of these plans that like there are it's a charge on your property it's going to affect the way you refinance um i think that in the current climate at least from what i can tell the one thing we're not addressing is helping canadians maintain the affordability of their house Mm -hmm. so they are first-time homebuyers they bought their house for the first time but now interest rates have risen to a level that it's very hard for them to debt service it. We've got a lot of people going to connect.ca and filling out our online form with, you know, put their address in and then they get what the pricing on a home equity loan would be. It would be great if there was some type of an assistant program, assistance program similar to that mm-hmm. that could allow people that were in a more difficult financial position to access some kind of more efficiently priced capital. Mm-hmm. We're doing our best at Connect to make sure that the capital that we're offering uh, home buyers who are in that situation is as efficiently priced as possible. And you can go to the website and you can you know, fill out your, your address, fill out some personal details, and you're going to get you know, a great rate offered to you in second position on your home. Mm-hmm. Um, it works the same way for a purchase. Um, but I think that is, um, it's important to recognize that this first time home buyer incentive program really isn't going to address all of the stress that's in the marketplace right now. Um, and if you're watching this right now and you're thinking to yourself, geez, great first time home buyer plan. I wish it was available when I bought my house Yeah, because now I could really use $30,000 because my expenses have increased significantly. Well, if you find yourself in that situation, you go to connect.ca, you can fill out an online form. It takes seconds. You can find out in seconds what you're approved for. $30,000, dollars 
to bridge you while interest rates are high, to get you through a precarious financial position. Um, that's what this is designed for. Mm-hmm. So if you're watching at home and you're wondering, you know, this first time home buyer plan really doesn't fit for you. You already have your house. Connect.ca, you can find out how much you can borrow. And the key to how we lend money, I can't, like, can't say this enough, is we lend money and then we go to work and then we help people get back on stronger financial footing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know what? Another thing, actually, you were just mentioning like there should be things for people, you know, what if you just recently bought your home? What if you're running into financial trouble because of increasing interest rates? Tell interestingly me, enough, interestingly enough, I have actually found recently because most of the applications that came come in online, myself or or you know someone from our team that I work very closely with is 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 dealing with these 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 incoming you know applications. The time between when people buy their house and when people are applying on our website is shortening. I'm speaking to a lot of people that are like, I just put five percent down on my house not too long ago, and I need help. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, in some situations like that, you know, we're not able it's difficult to, to help. able to help. Yeah. But but even even who cares how much they're putting down? That time frame is slimming, right? So like, I just bought a house. I got into the market. I'm super excited. I'm a first time home buyer, and now raising interest rates are really hurting me. Yeah, maybe it'd be good if the incentive program was kind of extended, right? So like, you just bought a house, and you can access this first time home buyer's incentive program for the first five years, right? Let's say. Yeah, you meet the eligibility eligibility criteria. <laughs> That's a hard one, man. Eligibility criteria, eligibility criteria, eligibility criteria. Anyways, you meet the eligibility criteria, and you know you need help thirty six months in. Right, still the same five year fixed rate mortgage, still the same house that you bought. Be nice to pull the federal government in then. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Again, it's likely not going to happen. But right. um, and in, if you're in that case. Give us a call and we'll try to find you the cheapest capital we can. 100%. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> I did have a couple of viewer questions that sure. I wanted to go through. Sure. I, I specifically picked uh, some viewer questions that had to do with uh, purchasing a home, um, particularly for the first time in some instances. Okay. So I'm just going to pull some up and we'll start from the top. Hey guys, I'm looking to purchase my first place and I've been looking into pre-construction condo to a pre-construction condo downtown, but I've heard that I should wait bef- because prices are going to drop. Do you suggest I wait or should I go through with the purchase now before rates go up more? And and an extension on that is, do we think that pre-construction condos are overpriced right now? It's mm, a good question. So there is an article recently um, that discusses how many pre-construction condos are coming onto the market in 2023, which is identified as kind of one of the main pain points in the real estate market. So there are about, I think it's like 30, 40,000 pre-construction condo units coming onto the market in 2023. Say it's 30,000. The majority of those are coming on at the beginning of 2023, first six months of 2023. Right. Call it 20,000. Those purchasers are very likely going to see a difference between what they paid for those and what they will be approved for as far as the value is concerned for an appraiser appraising them at that time. Right. And 
they will be responsible for coming up with that difference. Right. So let's say, you know, you bought a pre-construction condo. I mean, some of these condos were being sold at sixteen, eighteen hundred dollars a square foot. But it was this roller coaster ride that real estate investors were on where it was like you could do no wrong buying pre-construction condos. They were just constantly increasing. Right. Um, so I think that purchasers who bought pre-construction three years ago, two years ago, and that are the units are coming online now are are probably in for a challenge to close those and they will very likely have to come up with some equity. Mm-hmm. And they might not have even been anticipating closing on them. They were probably planning on assigning them and making some money, right? That was the market. You could go in, you could buy a bunch of these pre-con units. Didn't matter what you paid for it. And when they came online, there was always someone willing to buy the paper from you at an increased price, mm-hmm. right? Reconstruction always sells for more than existing. Right. It's a brand new unit. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that being said, there, there is a floor in the market, right? It's what existing units are selling for. It's also based on what it costs to build, mm-hmm. right? The city of Toronto has been notoriously slow in approving developments. There are development charges. Um, there is that, like, I can't, I can't, it's impossible to underestimate the amount of, or sorry, to overestimate. It's, it's, it's very difficult to understate the amount of cost that increasing timelines create for developers. Right. right. When the city of Toronto is slow to respond to a developer, when the city of Toronto kind of increases the amount of bureaucracy and garbage that a developer needs to go through in order to get approvals, it increases the cost of a development. Right. And at the end of the day, those costs are borne by the purchasers. So the cost to develop in Toronto is high. Construction costs are high. The cost of money is increasing. All of those things uh, prevent us from seeing the, like a a developer can't just sell units cheaper because, you know, the market's turned. The developers are pulling projects offline. That's what's happened right now. Big developers are saying, we're not going to develop this project. We're going to wait. And that will create a pain point in the future. Like we're talking about, we need housing supply. Right. Right. We've got 500,000 immigrants coming in every year. Those people need to live somewhere. Mm-hmm. And we've got a development process that is slowed down by the city and that you know construction costs have increased. All of those things now with a soft market are going to cause us to bring less inventory online at a time when demand is increasing. So at some point in the future, we're going to have another supply-demand imbalance. Right. It's just not going to happen in the first six months of 2023 when we've got a whole bunch of units coming online. Right. Who knows how quickly those units can get absorbed? That's another thing, right? Like We've got a ton of uh, immigration happening. We also have a ton of residential units coming online in the first half of 2023. And we have a ton of first-time homebuyer incentives. Yes. Yeah. 
Although like these condos, like con these condos that we're talking about, it's unlikely that um, that the majority of them will meet the requirements of the first time uh, incentive, the first time homebuyer incentive plan. All I'm saying is we very likely have a short term, uh, like a further drop in pre-construction. Mm-hmm. It is definitely mitigated by the supply-demand imbalance. Um, and once the absorption of these units is complete, there's, you know, we talked about it in our last show, right? If it costs 3000 bucks to rent one of these units, it's setting a floor for what the value of the unit is. Right. Right. Because it's cheaper to buy the thing. So that sets a floor for it. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, if you've spent $1,500, $2,000 per square foot for pre-construction, it's going to be difficult for an appraiser in this market to come up with your purchase price in the appraisal. And that will lead to some challenges for homeowners, for home buyers. Struggling to close on those. And that what does that mean? It means higher costs of borrowing, not just higher costs of borrowing because interest rates have gone up, higher costs of borrowing because there is additional risk on those files, right? So what are they going to have to do? Maybe they were accounting for buying and putting 20% down. And now part of their down payment is going to be absorbed in the difference between what they bought their unit for two years ago, three years ago, and what it got appraised for. Right. And what does that mean? Are they getting an insured mortgage now because of that? Or are they getting a second mortgage to supplement the down payment? All of these challenges, I, I will, I'll put it to this way. You don't want to be going through this on your own. You, yeah. you need a good broker that can help you through these challenges. And these challenges aren't forever. Right? Um, if, if the belief is that the market will return, then it might make more sense to take a second mortgage for a shorter period of time. If your game plan is to hold out and sell the property when the market stabilizes, figure out what your time horizon is, figure out what the game plan is, um, and we can help you with that. But definitely, this. so the person's question was with respect to whether it's a good time to buy a pre-con. I think right now, if you're going in to buy a pre-construction unit, you could probably have the pick of the litter. Yeah. Right? I don't think that the sales offices for pre-construction are teaming with people and lineups the way they once were. Yeah. Um, so I think you can probably get some incentives to purchase. And I think that um, you're not, if you're buying pre-construction, you're not closing with today's interest rate. Mm-hmm. Right? You're closing in two or three years when interest rates are going to be lower. Mm-hmm. So if you go into a builder office right now to buy pre-construction, I think you're probably going to get incentives with respect to how much money you've got to put down. So meaning maybe it's a, a more aggressive uh, down payment structure. So you're putting less down. It's costing you less to carry the pre-construction unit. Um, I think you probably get some upgrades for free. Um, and then keep in mind that when that unit is done two years down the road, three years down the road, the interest rate that you're going to get at that time isn't going to be today's rate. Right. We can widely accept that. Right. The only way that it would be today's rate 
like whatever, 6% on a five-year fixed rate. The only way that could be is if our economy keeps chugging along. Anecdotally, I'll tell you something. Our economy is not chugging along. Right. I always, like, I love having discussions with people that are in different businesses because you get a real feel for what the leading indicators of our economy are telling us. So I played tennis this morning with my buddy, Greg. Okay. And Greg has a valet business. Very successful guy. Wonderful, wonderful guy. One of his businesses is a valet business. Right. The valet business has um, set up at every kind of major mall, um, at least in Ontario. I'm pretty sure he's out west too. And he was like, Black Friday was a bust. Really? Yeah. He's like, the, the number of people that we anticipated to use valet services and they, they arrive at those numbers kind of in concert with the, the mall that they're servicing was, and he was telling me the numbers, they were, they were like 20% of what was anticipated. That is a leading indicator telling you that people are worried. I mean, I'm sure a little bit of it is, you know, kind of every year more and more people are going to online shopping. Yes. And not you know, walking into a shopping mall, Mm -hmm. but still I'm sure that's accounted for in their projections. And when your projections are one fourth or one fifth of what you were anticipating, that is telling you that the economy is weaker than what was anticipated. Mm -hmm. And it will take time, not a lot of time, but it will take 30, 60, 90 days for that information to filter in to the data that we see from Statistics Canada, from what the Bank of Canada will digest in their business outlook surveys that they conduct with business owners um, for the banks to see this information, but it is coming. Mm -hmm. So in order for us to see interest rates at 6% in two years, we would have had to have seen strength. Right. And we're not seeing that. Yeah. Right. The consumer is stressed. Right. The consumer is worried. And that will come through more and more in numbers. Um, and once, and we're already seeing it. Listen, we've reached the peak interest. Like, I mean, the, the fixed rate bond market is showing us that. Right. Um, so, I mean, I really went in roundabout way answering your question here, but it might not be a bad time to buy a pre-construction condo. It might be a little bit better to buy a pre-construction condo at some point in the next six months. Mm-hmm. But it's now. It's now. Like we're approaching that kind of sweet spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. The pivot? Uh, no. The, remember, it's, just, I know. it's like we're going we're gonna to reach a plateau and then we're going to pivot. Right. And yesterday, the chairman of the Federal Reserve in the States came out and said, although we still have a lot of work to do to fight inflation, we expect that the size of our interest rate increases are, is, is going to be reduced, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's like acceleration and velocity. Mm-hmm. You know the difference between acceleration and velocity? Like it's like when you like jump on a train that stops and you keep going forward. Man, I'd love to live inside your brain. (laughs) 
Okay. Hi, guys. I'm hoping you can help me figure out a solution because I've hit a wall at my bank. Common. I want to buy my first home, but I work in sales. So most of my commissions or most of my earnings are based on my commissions. I've been trying to get approved for a mortgage at my bank, but they won't approve me for anywhere near the amount that I want. They won't recognize all the commissions income I generate. And I've heard of alternative lenders and understand that they're, uh, their rate interest rates are quite high. Are they my only option? First off, they're not that high. They're really not that high. It is. It's very interesting when you look at the rates in today's market. Right. How similar the cost of a private mortgage is mm-hmm. to a five-year fixed rate for an A borrower. Yeah. That spread has never been tighter. Right. Um. So. I think it's. It's time that you, it's, it's, it's important to look at what the actual impact on your affordability is between these different options. Mm-hmm. Also, you, it's like there's a Black Friday sale on real estate right now. Right, right, right. right, like, right, right. I don't, Cyber it, Monday. It's like, it, again, and it's kind of similar to the acceleration versus velocity now that I think about it. It's like, the leading indicator for the prices of real estate is so like real estate prices are going to decrease yeah. and have been decreasing. And the leading indicator for that is how few sales are happening. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, we are decelerating the real estate market and our velocity is coming down. Right. And at a certain point we will, accelerate and the prices will come back up. So for somebody who is trying to stretch to make a purchase right now, listen, there's always people that are stretching to make a purchase. Yeah. Especially self-employed people. And if you run a successful business, you can run your finances successfully. For some reason, except if you're a doctor, apparently doctors (laughs) are pretty bad at this. I don't know why it's like, <laughs> it's a stressful oh, job. No, yeah, I guess so. it's a stressful job. So. But um, if you, as a self-employed business owner, are looking to kind of exceed what your bank is going to approve you for, you should understand two things. Number one, your bank is being conservative with how much they're going to approve you for. Mm-hmm. Number two, your bank is being more conservative right now on what they're going to approve you for because of the way the market is. The bank. Uh, psychologically, there are people in the bank that operate the same way that everyone else does based on greed and fear. Mm-hmm. Perhaps even more so on the greed side if you're working at a bank. Anyways, um, but if you need to purchase for more in today's environment, you're probably better off than you were purchasing for more in last year's environment. Right. Right. So again, we spoke a little bit about this in past episodes. Like, Buying when everything is priced perfect, like when, you know, interest rates are zero, asset prices are high, you are going to stretch to make that purchase. You are assuming that the value of what you are buying is going to increase. It's very difficult for that value to increase unless some impact is felt on our economy more positive than 0% interest rates. Mm-hmm. So there's a higher risk at that time. Whereas right now, interest rates are about as high as we're going to see them. The only 
option on the horizon line is for the economy to get a little worse, property values will fall a little bit more, and then interest rates will fall, and then asset prices will start going up again. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad time. No, 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 for sure. And I think just to get into his, his question a little bit more with like, you know, I went to my bank, I'm on a commission, you know, there's a lot of salespeople or, or people who work commission or get a bonus or stuff like that. I went to my bank, I went to one place and I asked one person one question. You know what I mean? Whereas like, you know, if you want to really go to the water park, are you just going to ask mom or are you going to ask dad too, right? So, you know, asking around and making sure you get the best, you know, uh, answer to your question, you know, coming to a broker, we do that for you, right? Like Connect does that for you. You have a particular situation that you're in, we know exactly where your home is, right? So, you know, um, going to your bank and, and relying on your bank is, in my opinion, a huge mistake, you know? I mean, you're not even, like, without even mentioning that the people that work at the banks are actually legislated to not be required to be educated on mortgages. Like, how... how how much more clear can you get than that? Yeah. And unfortunately, the banks don't say that in their advertising campaigns. Yeah. But it wouldn't sound good. If, if they did. did, what would that commercial sound like? Come to TD to get your mortgage where every single person that works here only knows our products. Yeah. Come bank here at Bank of Montreal where everybody in our bank is ignorant to any other product that might be able to help you other than the ones that our bank has. <laughs> Come get your mortgage at Scotia Bank. The guy who's going to give it to you just started last week and knows absolutely nothing. Oh, he'll give it to you all right. Oh. Okay, so we got one more question here. I, I'm I basically they're saying so they want to purchase a home. Um, cost of living are high, is high, and they don't have a substantial down payment. So, what tips do you have for putting yourself in a better saving position? Listen, this is about as simple as it gets here. Okay, how do you save more money? Spend less. Yeah. Spend less than what you make. Right. And understand that there is a benefit to having money saved. Right. And you know what that benefit is? Compound interest. Okay. If you put your money into some investment that provides you with compound interest, like the MIC, like our mortgage investment fund, right? And you are returning, you are, you are receiving 9% as a return every year. Right. The law of 72 says that in eight years, your money doubles. Okay. Yeah. Law of 72 is just take the number 72, divide it by the return that you are making, and the equal output is the number of years. Okay. 12% yield, your money's doubled in six years. Okay. Right. Now, in the past, compound interest rates, rates to, for a risk free investment, we're never this high. But because of the market that we're in right now, they're higher and higher and higher. Right. There is a real benefit. There always has been a real benefit to investing your money and to saving your money. That benefit is more pronounced now than it has been in the past. Right. Inflation's causing that. The problem is the inflation's also increasing everyone's debt load, which is preventing them from being able to save any money. Right. Okay. But there's a really interesting parallel here to how humans deal with climate change. Okay? Okay. Unfortunately, like humans, we 
people are programmed to not prepare, unfortunately. We are very, very bad at preparing for a coming catastrophe. We are much better at adapting to the catastrophic environment. Right. So if you think about this in, in the form, first, of climate change, okay? Unless you're like, I mean, it is very difficult to understand a world where you can deny climate change, right? Right. Like, there's clearly something going on in the environment. And we are having a more pronounced impact on that environment every year. Okay. We have, we've, we've, we've kind of brought on these heroes to help us stop climate change, right? Elon Musk, Greta electric Thunberg. car, right? Greta Thunberg. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't know what she's done. She just complains about it. But, no, well, but listen, like wind and solar energy and carbon capture programs and carbon taxes, all of these things combined, I think have had like a net benefit of zip zero. Right. Okay. Because what humans will do is what they've always done. They will stare down the barrel of the catastrophe and they will keep going towards the catastrophe and water levels will rise. And Miami will be underwater and people will move and they'll go to another area and they'll live there. They will adapt to this coming crisis. And it is the same thing as saving money. You know you should save money. Right. You know you want money for a down payment. But you don't fully realize we don't really fully think about the benefit of that compound interest because it's not awesome and sexy and you can't drive it right away you can't wear it on your wrist or wear it out and get compliments on it so for the most part we ignore it Mm -hmm. but it is so critical for your uh, psychological well-being right Put some money away. Treat it, treat it as with the with the same level of importance as making yourself feel better momentarily by buying that thing that you want. Right. Short-term pain, long-term gain. And right now, it should be more pronounced than ever for you because interest rates are so high. Mm-hmm. You can get so much marginal utility out of that money in the future. So save some money right now. Spend less than what you're making, especially in an environment like we're in right now. Mm-hmm. And you will reap the benefit in the future. That being said, we haven't done a damn thing about climate change. Mm. And it's very unlikely that drawing a parallel between climate change and compound interest is going to affect anybody's mentality on this. But I can tell you that and it, we are biologically programmed like this for some reason, right? Like right. our brains are wired like this. Like there are certain things that humans are capable of that are just extraordinary. And then there are other things where like we're programmed for that. It's like, geez, that like, how does that make sense? But I think it's like from kind of uh, the caveman days, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. The caveman brain that we have isn't programmed 
to think much beyond, I better make sure that I have food. Fine. And the, if I have food for a little while, that's a good thing. Uh. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought that was a very interesting parallel, right? Like, think about climate change. Like, all of these things that we're doing to stop climate change amount to nothing. Right. Right? It amounts to something more than it did 10 years ago, though. Maybe. Like, maybe. Are you Marginally. sure? Are you sure that the net benefit has improved any from now, from 10 years ago to now? Are you sure about that? I, I because, live- like, hang on a second. Hang on. China and India are polluting more than they've ever polluted. Right. Right. So, okay. You know, back to the drop in the bucket. Right. Right. We can sell carbon tax credits and we can introduce as much wind and solar as we want. And we can do all of these things. But are we making a, an, an incremental benefit on an annualized basis? Is it better than it was 10 years ago? I couldn't answer that for you. I couldn't say definitively yes. Mm-hmm. I can I can just see that from like from human history we are much better at adapting than we are at fixing. Right. Maybe I just live in my own bubble, but I put my bottle in the recycling, and I didn't do that ten years ago. So, all right. Well, there's incremental. Back- <laughs> you know, there was one thing. Thanks for like- saving the world, Justin. <laughs> no problem. Wow, that was great. Thanks, Marcus, for being here with us. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, buddy. It's always fun. Anytime. Thanks for listening on your favorite podcast platform. As always, we hope you enjoyed the show. Please be sure to write us a review wherever you are listening and tell a friend about the show. Word of mouth is the best way to get us the new listeners. Tell them to visit makemoneycount.com today.